This morning we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus Everyone, and uh, we're going to be in the sermon series for the next couple of weeks, uh, looking at Jesus Everyone. That's one of the visions that we have here at FCC. We're all about the person of Jesus, and want to get in the Word. We want to see Jesus every day to everyone to everywhere. Uh, an aspect of Jesus Everyone is we believe here at FCC that everyone is to be in a, a lifestyle of worship, that whether that be uh, that is both congregationally or corporately worshiping as well as privately worshiping. And um, even that song, or many of these songs that we actually worship to this morning or worship alongside of, uh, but that, that song, Goodness of God, as many times as I've encountered and experienced the face of God corporately singing that song, probably tenfold personally in private time that God has revealed himself to me uh, through that. I'm just so thankful that when we look at worshiping Jesus, it's not just a one day of a week for one hour of that one day. But it's an everyday thing when we get to encounter the person of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 134 if you want to go ahead and flip there. And, uh, but as you're doing so, when I was about 13 years old, um, my parents, when I was four years old, five years old, my parents moved from one house to another and uh, we built a modular home. Does anyone know what a modular home is? Raise your hand if you know what a modular home is. Cool, most of y'all. So most of y'all can track along with this. A modular house is a pre-built house uh, that they then, they came in and within like a two and a half week time period, they dug the foundation, put the rocks in, poured the footers, moved the house in on five tractor and trailers, put it, everything was installed. It's almost like adult Legos, kind of. And they put it together, and within two and a half weeks, we went from like green grass hill to there's a house. And it's pretty incredible. And so when my parents built the house, uh, my dad, they, you know, they have requirements just like anyone when you're looking at buying a house. Hey, here's what we need, and here's what we want. And one of the things that was on the want list that wasn't on the need list was a shop for my dad. And so they compromised, and one-third of the basement became my dad's shop, which was about like the size of this stage maybe, somewhere around there. And he moved from a bigger shop into this really small shop. So uh, they had um, put a plan together of, hey, we'd like to build a shop if finances ever became available. And when I was about 13 years old, uh, some finances came available for my parents to build a shop. Now, the building of this shop took six times the length that the building of a house <laughs> took. But uh, my dad got the opportunity to build a 32 by 32 foot shop. And it was all built, almost all, I'd say 80% was built by family members and friends. And it was so cool to watch. I remember even looking back now, like, they came in, and if Dad can correct me, but, like, we hired a company to come in and dig the foundation because you kind of, like, have to have a professional who knows what they're doing do that. Then dump rocks in and then pour the concrete footers and such. But then from that point on, the entire shop was built by family members and friends. I can remember my Uncle Scott and my dad coming over and laying the block to build the walls up. And I remember, like, I was the, the kid who just carried block to the block layers and mixing the mud and I remember my dad was telling me like before I ever like mix my first batch of mud he was like now this is going to rip your guts out and I'm like how is my guts going to come like how is that going to rip my gut what are you talking about dad and then like after I was like okay now I understand what he means like my core is on fire right now but whether it be from the laying of the, of the block to when it became time to, to build the walls up, I remember my cousin Jamie and my dad and my Uncle Scott and a couple other family members and friends coming over to, to build these walls and sit the two-by-fours. And they had the, will, the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of how to do this. And we got the, the walls put up. And then you have the gables for the ceiling to be put up. And I remember like watching this and not knowing, like, how are we going to build these trusses get them up there, and then flip them around to where the peak side is. Like, how are we going to do this without a crane? This is crazy. Then I remember my cousin Jamie, who he's pretty wild and crazy to begin with, 
who has done this many times and like out of just two by fours built contraptions to raise this stuff up and it was just like pretty incredible and got to watch that go up and then I remember it was a fun part for me as we we got the the siding built and we had to put the Tyvex on the around the the shop to prevent that weather barrier and I remember those nails with like the yellow dot or the orange dot I remember I got to finally hammer some nails into the building it was it was a lot of fun and then then getting the roof up and getting the shingles up and you have to put all those shingles and shingles if they're not put down correctly the first time you're going to have a lot of issues with your your infra, with your building and so luckily another one of my cousins knew how to put up shingles and so they started us and I remember then I didn't get to put up shingles but you know what I got to do carry shingles up to the roof up a ladder and flop them down and now that didn't rip my guts out but it still was pretty painful but it was so cool to watch this whole process this whole time to watch different people amongst our family and amongst our friends who each knew a piece of putting a building together, bring their skills, their gift sets, their wisdom, their knowledge to build this shop that still today is standing. That's pretty incredible. And when we look at this, what we're going to see in, in, in Scripture is, is that's what the church is about. And an aspect just like building that shop is how we worship. Now, we're going to get there when you might be like, how is building a shop comparable to worshiping? We're going to get there. But the older that I get, the more I admire my family members who knew how to do that. I admire them. I, I'm amazed by like, wow, the craft that they have, the time that they put up, honing in that skill to doing that, to perfecting that craft. Now, whether it's building or it could be a simple thing as like, uh, or not a simple thing, but like a symphony. Now, you all know I have no musical abilities whatsoever. I'm tone deaf. You don't want to stand beside me when music's going on. But I still enjoy like watching the orchestra or the orchestrating of a massive symphony. It's beautiful. But it's even more beautiful. It's beautiful or a word. It's beautiful or to someone who actually knows what's going on. And it's even more beautiful to someone who's mastered that, and they're like, wow, look what he's doing with that clarinet section. I don't even know if that's a terminology or not, but wow, look what he's doing with the brass section. Look what he's doing with the woodwind section. Like, all this just is, and the, and the composer, it just sounds so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, man, music sounds really good. Like, my ears, like, really enjoy this right now. But when the more you know it, the more you understand it, the more you admire it, or even artwork. Now, music and artwork, I enjoy, but artwork, like, you don't want to take me to the Taubman because I'm going to be laying on a bench asleep. I just don't understand art. It just does not, does not comp- compute in my mind. I don't understand. Like, I remember one time I was in college, um, we were taking a, a class, and it was about like understanding the human psyche through the display of art. So we'd have to look at an art piece, and then based upon what the artist drew, convey what we thought. Now, that's the thing. What we thought the artist was trying to convey in this. And so I was like, well, you know, he used a lot of blue in this. So I think he was going through some melancholy or some like maybe some sad, depressed state of his life. And here's this. I think there's a a woman standing by herself. So maybe like maybe something's going on here. And so I wrote this and I thought, man, I'm going to I'm going to knock this out of the park. This is going to be a good paper. F you complete. I'm like, no, you asked me what I thought of the artwork. And you said that. How can you tell me that I'm wrong with my thinking here? Like, it's just my thought, my opinion on this. But when you understand artwork, like you could go to the Taubman and love it. And every time they do like an art gallery switch and change, you're like, yeah, I want to go down there. I want to go see. Because I want to admire the mastery of an artist on their canvas. Or a play, if someone's into to watching plays. And it's like, you know, we've, I went to watch The Nutcracker once in my life. And when we got to intermission, I thought it was done. It's like, no, there's a whole nother session. I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, 
let's get this. But some of y'all are like, you know, you just enjoy. It's like, wow, that dancer was so elegant and just beautiful and how they stood on their toe. And, you know, I don't know the terminology, but you all do. And you enjoy it. But now to me, when I watch a football game, it's not just men hitting one another. I get to see the chess match that's going on. And I admire the offensive coordinator playing games with the defensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator playing games with the offense court and the chess match that's going in there. Many of things, the more that you become to enjoy it, or the things that you would love, the more that you understand it, you admire someone who's really, really good at it. And what we're going to see here in Psalm chapter 34 as you turn there is this beautifulness of people coming and praising God. And what we realize is we all bring a piece to the puzzle per se to praise God. So as you flip to Psalm 34, some background here into Psalm 134. Uh, this is part of what's called the Song of Ascents. The Song of Ascents start in Psalm 120. If you just look in your scriptures, you'll see this subheading that says Song of Ascents. Starts in Psalm 120 and it ends here in 134. Uh, what they believe is happening here, we don't really know 100% what all of the Song of Ascents meant or what their original uh, author was writing at the time and all that, but what many scholars believe is that it's a pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage from a place far from God to a place to the nearness, to the closeness of God, which we're going to see here in Psalm 134. Uh, some people believe that these were written actually when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon and when either Esther or, ne or excuse me, Ezra or Nehemiah or one of the other prophets brought back some of the Israelites back to Jerusalem. And as they were journeying from Babylon back to Jerusalem, they began to write these songs, these song of ascents, and they're ascending back to Mount Zion or Jerusalem where the temple is. Some people just believe, some scholars believe that it's just a pilgrimage that the Jews set up at one point in time, uh, that they were just a pilgrim back to Jerusalem at one point in their life, and that this song, these song of ascents, were to be sung starting in Psalm 120 when they left their house, and then it would progress as they got closer to Jerusalem up until they got to the point in time where they were on the steps of the temple. Some actually believed, say that, you know, we have three steps right here on the stage, but some people believe that it was, uh, it was actually on the 15th step of the temple. You would step up on that step, and you would stand, you would look at the temple, and you would sing Psalm 120. And then as soon as you finished, you would take another step up on that step, and you would sing Psalm 121, and so on and so forth, until you got to the last and final step where you were standing at the temple singing Psalm 134. And it doesn't matter which one of these actually comes true or not. The point is, both physically and spiritually, these songs are sung from a place of distance from God to the nearness of God. And so when we look at Psalm 120, you're not going to read it, but Psalm 120 starts off with the psalmist saying, deliver me and woe to me because they were far and distant from God. But Psalm 134, as we're going to see here, is the capstone. Now, I do know this term, is the crescendo. <laughs> yeah, that symphony, it's crescendoing here, the climax, as they're at the temple in the presence of the Lord. So here's Psalm 134. It's massively long, so you're going to want to make sure that you pay close attention. I'm just kidding. It's three verses long. Here we go. Psalm 134. It says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. 
So when we look at this, what is these aspects of how we are to worship God? The first is that we see here, and if you're taking notes or writing in a journal, we are to worship the Lord. Verse 1, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Um, now, if, you, if we read and teach from the ESV 99% of the time, but if you have the NIV, you're going to see that it says, come, bring praises to the Lord. Um, most translations will say bless. The NIV specifically uses the word praise. What's going on here is uh, all three verses, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3, you're going to read the word bless, except for verse 1 in the NIV, it says the word praise. All three of these times, it's the exact same Hebrew word that's used here, which is the word barak. And barak means to bring adoration or to adorn someone or something. And so here, the best translation that most use is the word praise, we're to, or we're to bless, we're to bless the Lord, we're to come and bless his name. That's where we get the word for praise sometimes. We're to bless the Lord, we're to adorn him, we're to make him beautiful, make him powerful. So then it continues and it says that we're to bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Now this is really cool. When you look at this servants of the Lord, if we read this, sometimes we could read this from a, an American standpoint, think, oh, well, the servant of the Lord is, is anyone who follows Jesus. And I would say, yes, we make that application today, but in the original audience, in the original language, no, it's not. The word here for servants of the Lord, because they're at the temple, are the night guards or the night priests of the temple who serve in the night shift hours. Now think of this, the temple is not going to be that busy of a place at nighttime, but yet there were priests, and that's who these people were, they were priests who stood and served the Lord at nighttime. That's what's going on here. And in this, they worshiped God by doing some things. We know some more details based upon some of the Old Testament writings about what these nighttime guards or these temple servants, these temple priests would do. The first thing they do is they served. They served anyone who came to them. Whatever it be that they needed, they would serve them. They would then serve the Lord because the God of this temple, God that we worship, is a God of order and not a God of chaos. They were the ones who would clean the temple. Think of that. They swept the temple. Actually, in some of these Psalms and even in some of the Old Testament literature, the word that's used for sweeping of the temple is the same as worshiping God. Just think of that. That Using a broom and sweeping is worshiping. That's powerful. They would, they would keep the temple clean. They would take and remove the incense and the ashtrays, and they would clean, keep, clean them and keep them orderly and presentable, presentable for all around and all the sacrifices and all the blood and all that. They would clean all this stuff up. So they were serving, but then they were also doing this. This is really cool. They were singing. Now, who were they singing to? It wasn't Bon Jovi up on a stage singing to thousands of people. Their hearts were captivated by the Lord, and that's who they were singing to. And may the ears that hear around them understand that they are singing to Yahweh, the God of the universe. So they were serving, they were singing, and they were working. They were fulfilling their priestly rules and responsibilities and abilities. They were working in the temple. And that's how they brought blessings to God. So even when we look at this, and when we look at this nightly aspect that they were to bless the Lord, those who stand by night in the, worship, the, the house of the Lord, that, that God is never asleep. He's never asleep and he's never slumber. Even in Psalm 121 verses 3 through 4 says this, which is part of the Song of Ascents. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That is why we believe in Jesus. Everyone is to be in a lifestyle of worship because worship isn't just a three-set song list on a Sunday morning. Worship isn't just singing and declaring, but worship is a lifestyle. Even, even if you're here today and you're like, hey, Ethan, I actually don't believe Jesus. I'm here with my wife or I'm here with my spouse or I've just been invited or I'm, I'm wrestling or wondering through who this person of Jesus is. You could even say that I'm the most atheistic person that I personally know. I will ask you, do you truly believe that you don't worship anything? Because I think when we look at humans, we all are worshiping something. What I mean by that is we are giving something our adoration. We're giving something or someone our time, our energy, our talents, and our monies. That's just what I see as humans we were designed to do. Everyone, I plead with you, everyone is worshiping something. I just ask you, is what you're worshiping worthy enough? Because what I see in the scriptures is Jesus is the only one who's worthy of everything and all of our praise and adoration. So we see here first, we are to worship the Lord. Second thing we're going to look at here in verse 2 is that we are to physically express our worship. Verse 2 says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And this, when it says the word lift up, it's a, it's a symbolism. It's, a, it's a, a, what we're trying to convey with our body of what we're believing in our hearts and what we're, th- what we're saying with our minds. Uh, some of the symbolisms of lift up is to, to put your arms up, which is a symbol of what? what if, I, like, if I go like this, what are you thinking I'm doing? I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. I'm saying I am surrendering. I am not going to attack you. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to hurt you. I am giving up. I'm relinquishing, relinquishing and I'm releasing control over to you, to whoever it is, the person. To lift up your arms in singing is to say, God, I release Ethan as in control of my life. And may you do what you foresee done in my life. Come what may. We, we lift up, we surrender. Also in this, notice that I'm not holding something in my hands. But it's a simple of empty-handedness. I bring nothing to the table of the cross. I bring, I'm empty-handed. There's nothing that I bring to Jesus outside of myself. It's not like, hey, let me, let me like go and let me go do these things or let me get this money or let me get these resources and let me clean up my life first and then, hey, actually, Jesus, you know what? I got my suit and towel on. I'm looking real nice and spiffy and now I can come praise you. No, empty-handed. Naked into this world I come, naked into this world I'll leave. I come before you, Jesus, empty-handed. But also when we look at this, that we're empty-handed, we're holding one to nothing, while at the same time, simultaneously, paradoxically, we're holding one to everything because we're holding one to the person of Jesus. When we surrender, when we look at Jesus as Lord, in the scriptures it's going to say that he's what? King of kings and Lord of what? Lords. When you read your scriptures, do this next time you're reading them. You're going to see that sometimes a little L is used in Lords and sometimes a big L of and, and, and Lord is used. When it's a little L, it's like a master or like someone like a boss per, per se, or a parent. Someone of authority here on earth. That's over but when it's in a big L, it's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the, the, the person who's over everything. And that's who God is. And we surrender. We say, Lord, I give up everything and I surrender over to you and I'm asking you to do what only you can do in my life. Even this past week, I saw a Facebook post going around, people sharing this picture that it said something on the lines of like uh, two marks of a healthy church are kids running around and men singing. 
I want you to think about that. Two marks of a healthy church are kids running around and men singing. When you think of the first one, it's like, if kids are running around, then that means we're passing the baton of faith off to the next generation. Now, even in this, when we look at this new facility we're in, Katie and I were, uh, yesterday we went to the, the rodeo thrift store where our old North Campus facility used to be. One of the things that we miss about that facility, our leadership has talked about this, we've talked about it, is we just miss having the kids run into the worship service, worship center after services. And this multi-generational, this laughter and hearing kids and all that, like, we just truly miss that about this facility. So if you have any idea of how we can, like, make that happen to where, like, we get to see these kids running around this worship center. Please let us know. Like, bring your kids up. Even in a service, we want people to be worshiping one and serving one. When you're worshiping a service, bring your kid in the worship center with us. Show them, model what it's like to worship God in the corporate worship with us here today. So kids running around and then men singing. You're like, men singing? How is that a mark of a healthy church? Well, let me just, just, just talk about this for a minute. When men are singing, it means one of two things. First, they have to be present. Seriously, you just, you just have to be here. And when men are present, when you look at all statistics, and I love this because both secular agrees with Scripture here, when men are present in a family's life, that family does better. When a husband is absent, when a father is absent of a household, there's a lot of ramifications that can come down the line from that. So men just have to be, we have to be present. God calls us to be present with our families. That's why we believe we're, we're to be called to be married to one woman and one wife forever and ever. And then you see in this as well that, that when men are present and men are singing, it means this, that they're leading with their love for the Lord. That they're saying, hey, I am leading my family to the Lord. 80% of the time when a husband comes into relationship with Jesus in a family, the wife and kids follow Less than 20% of the time when the wife comes into a relationship does the husband and the kids then follow. Men, God calls us to lead our households. And we, what we see here biblically here is that we are called to sing. Now sometimes I hear this. I've heard this from guys. Well, I don't like singing because I just don't have a good voice. I don't care. I, I, I Sing. That's why I sing. I don't have a good voice. I realize Katie's always like nudging me, like, Ethan, shut up. You're like, my ears are bleeding. I don't care. <laughs> sing. Who are you singing to? It's not the people around us. Now, we do see this, yes. In Ephesians, we're called to sing spiritual songs and hymns over one another, absolutely. But that's what we're called to do, sing. Now, sometimes some of the people will say that, you know, I don't, I don't like to sing or I think you just you misunderstand the point and the power of corporate worship. Bob Coughlin in his book, True Worshippers, says here's the six reasons why we sing. I'll go through these pretty quickly. If you have notes, these aren't in your digital notes, but if you want to write these down somewhere else, I think they're very, very helpful. He says this, singing encourages and expresses the Spirit's work in our hearts. When we're singing, because I'm a verbal processor. Anyone else a verbal processor in the room? Raise your hand. Verbal processor. What that means is we like to talk to ourselves. Now, when we talk to ourselves, it's not because we're crazy. We're legitimately processing what we're thinking. It helps us get out of our mouths what's going on in our, our minds and helps us process through things. So in that, when we're singing, we're verbally processing sometimes things. But it encourages and expresses the Spirit's work in our hearts. Spirit, would you do something in my life? The second thing is it helps us to remember God's word. 
This is so powerful. I, I can't, Genevieve, she can't read the scriptures. She, she just can't. Like, she can't read any. Now, she's starting to pick up some words. Like, she can memorize that D-A-D spells dad. And I remember that this is the D, this is an A, and this is a D. So that looks like dad, so I think that's dad. But she can't legitimately read. But she knows God's word. Well, how is that? Because she's memorized songs that speak God's word. That's the number one way, that's the number one reason why curriculum in children's ministry takes verses and puts them into song for kids because they can't read or they're hard of reading. Therefore, they can say, hey, here's the powerful truth. Now let's sing it and let's memorize it. Even if I were to do this. Now this, I need y'all to interact with me, okay? Can y'all interact with me this morning? So if I were to say this, I need y'all to respond. So this is what they call call and response in church. So if I say this, sweet Caroline. Man, y'all nailed it. Love it. You know that. I didn't have to train you. I didn't have to teach you. You've memorized that. No one said, okay, lesson number one, when the song Sweet Caroline comes on, sing ba, ba, ba after it. No, you just, you know that. Same thing with God's word. I can't tell you how many times a song comes on word. Like the song might not be word for word or verbatim scripture, but it's like, man, here's a powerful truth about who God is. And we can remember it because it's putting into a metro, and, a, and somebody that understands music can tell us why it's easy to remember, but psychologically it just does. So the third thing we look at is singing helps us teach and be taught. When we sing songs, we're not just saying, hey, let's gather and put on an amazing concert. No, we're wanting to teach truths about who God is as well as be taught things about who God is. That goes in lines with remembering God's word. The fourth thing, singing helps express and engage our emotions. Now, I want to be careful with this because if we just worship God in emotions with singing, we uh, become habits to what's called emotionalism where we're only loving God through our emotions rather than the truths of who he is. And when something hard comes our way, it's like, well, I didn't feel God. Well, God was still present. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times, and that cannot be removed because that is who he is. Therefore, because you didn't feel God doesn't mean that God wasn't there. But it does, if you knew who Bob Coughlin was, Bob Coughlin's probably one of the, the individuals who's like farthest away from like emotional spirit worship songs. He's just very hard on truth. And um, the music that he, that he leads is called Sovereign Grace Ministry uh, Worship or Music. So it helps us express and engage our, our emotions. The fifth thing is singing encourages physical expressiveness. Here's where we get into here. That we are to worship the Lord not just with our mouths, but with our bodies. And we're to engage in worshiping God in that way. Now, some of you may differ in this, and that's perfectly okay. Even some of our pastors and elders, like, I just can't worship and sing with my hands in my pockets. The reason why is because I think the day that I see Jesus face to face in heaven, I'm not going to be like, wow, Jesus, thank you. I'm like, Jesus, thank you. Like, my body is going to follow in the love that I understand that he has for me and wanted, me wanting to reciprocate that back to him. Sixthly, is singing helps us express our unity within the church. Now, this is powerful. This is why corporate worship exists. Now, we as a, as a church, we have, uh, we, we have the style of worship that's called contemporary Christian music, CCM. We do this strategically because we want to sing from the song, the, the, how songs hear to the ear that's similar to what secular music sounds like. That's why we do this. But one of the things that when you look at typically with contemporary Christian music that you can miss out on a lot is the acapella of a church singing. And sometimes you'll even notice this morning, like, the band will step away and they'll back up. And when you just hear the body of believers singing over one another, like, it just gives me goosebumps. 
not because of the emotional side of it, but because I know that my brother and sisters, I mentioned earlier in Ephesians, where we're called to sing spiritual songs and hymns over one another. That's why when you look at uh, when someone's passed away in the hospital and you sing songs over them, that's why it's so powerful. It's so, there's a unity in that. There's unity in the body when we sing together. So not only do we worship through singing, but we worship as we looked at the priestly responsibilities is through how we serve one another, how we work, through our praying. Think of that, how we pray. That is what we are called to do in, in worshiping God. Through being generous and charitable, through any and all adoration that takes the focus off of man and puts it on God. So that's why I love this quote by E.M. Bounds. He says this, where there is earnest and faithful praying, the body always takes on the form most suited to the state of the soul at that time. Think about that. So that's why this past week on Monday night, when a horrific incident happened on Monday night football, how did you, receive, how did you see players responding? What did they do? Got down on their knees. Why? It's an act of surrender. God, I can't do anything for my teammate. I can't do anything for my, my friend right now. The only thing I can do is surrender, get down on my knees, and pray to you and ask you to sovereignly step in. That, that's why oh, yesterday I didn't watch the game, but the, the game was kicked off between the Titans and the Jags. What did the players do? They came together in a circle and began getting on their knees and praying because the body takes on the form of the soul's place. Even, I, I loved it as, I don't think that anyone can ever take prayer out of something. So when I see like, you know, they've taken prayer out of school. They can't. <laughs> you can't do that. Why? Because I can pray silently to myself. Therefore, you can never take that out of anything. I've seen people say they've taken prayer out of the NFL. They haven't taken prayer out of the NFL. They may have taken on the, taken out, hey, you can't kneel and pray. They might have taken that, but they didn't take away prayer out of it. But sometimes when we see the people, like even when I watch that Monday night football, and the, they're going back and forth to the commentators and what's going on in the field, and the commentators are saying, you know, all we can do is pray right now. Not a single one of them actually prayed on TV. But an ESPN analyst, Dan Orlonsky, who was, used to be a former NFL quarterback, said, I don't care if I get in trouble for this. I'm going to pray right now on live TV for DeMar Hamlin. And he prayed. And our bodies take on this form as our souls do here that Ian Bound writes. Now I think this is pretty cool. Where does the text say that we express our physical worship to? It says to the holy city. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. The holy place then was the temple the gathering place, the dwelling place of God. Do you know where that is now today, church? Us. Because it's Jesus in us. We lift up, we bless the Lord, we lift up our hands to the person of Jesus. We believe Jesus every day, everyone, everywhere. Third thing we see in this text is we are blessed by the Lord. We are blessed by the Lord. It says in verse three, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. When it's, anytime you see in the word scripture Zion, it's referring back to the temple or referring back to Jerusalem, Mount Zion. It's getting back to the dwelling place of God with mankind. So here when it says, may the Lord bless you. This is pretty cool as well. When you look at this, uh, uh, some of the scholars believe that Psalm 134 wasn't as much as the people singing this, but the priests singing it to the people. So when they would get here to this end here, it was just a, uh, it was a short bit. It was almost like an acronym saying, may the Lord bless you, was then to be a continuation of the Lord's 
prayer, the priestly prayer that we see in Numbers chapter 6. So in this one it says, may the Lord bless you, I'll get a little southern on you, it's not, the original is in singular and not plural, so it's not, hey, may the Lord bless y'all. No, it's, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you, Jackie. May the Lord bless you, Alan. To every person, it's singular here. May the Lord bless you. God's speaking directly to his people. And like I said, it's going back to her. Many believe that's pointing to the priestly blessing we see in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Many of you know this. It says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so then when you receive this blessing, like anything else, when you receive a blessing, not only is there great joy in receiving that blessing, like, hey man, I've been blessed, man, that's, that was really cool, I got to receive that. But then there's great responsibility in that. What do I mean by that? When you've given something, you have to then take responsibility of that. So with, in student ministry, with high school students, when they have their first car, you can tell whether their parents gave them their first car or they bought their first car. Because when the parent gives them their first car, it doesn't get vacuumed out as much. It doesn't get cleaned as much. It doesn't get taken care of as much. But when they purchase their first car, they take care of that thing. Why? Because their hard-earned money went into buying that thing. You can tell the difference in that. And when we receive a blessing from God, there's great responsibility in taking care of this blessing. And we don't hoard blessings. This, this is why we are called to be generous and charitable people. We don't receive a blessing from God and then just say, mine, it's mine, it's all mine. I'm just keeping it from me. No, we receive blessings from God to then do, do what? Release them. Give them to others. We receive things from God to then give them to others. Both from what, what I would say is the positive blessing, such as like, hey, here's, you know, here's, an extra, you know, here's an extra $100. Okay, now what am I to do with it? I'm to then bless someone else with this. Or it could be, hey, I went through something that was negative. This was a negative blessing in the sense that I went through a hardship. Okay, I went through this season of my life, and I want to bless someone else with that so that when they're going through that, I can go through that with them. I don't just claim up and say, hey, you know, good luck doing that by yourself. No, but I, I receive this blessing and I release it to someone else and I help guide them through it. So when we receive blessings, we give. I, I saw this as the band comes up. I saw this video. Uh, I've seen it done many times. Typically, it's around Thanksgiving and not Christmas. Um, but we're a group of people, maybe it's friends or family members, and they say, hey, we're all going to pitch in a, a sum of money and we're all going to go out to eat somewhere. And we're going to go out to eat, and we're going to pay our tab with that money, and then whatever's left, we're going to give to the waiter or waitress. And so I saw this, this guy who he had, a, it was him and a group of his friends, and they all went to, out to eat somewhere, and they got their meal and they ate, and then afterwards, someone was videotaping, and the waitress came up to him, and he said, uh, he said ma'am, we want, to, we want to give you something, however, we're going to give it to you under one condition. And she was like, you know, kind of like, all right, what, what's going on here? And he's like, we would like to tip you very well, but of this, you've got to give a percentage of it or a portion of it to the cook. And she's like, okay, that's fine. I'm game with that. And then he said, we want to give you $1,300. The look on her, she was flabbergasted. Just started crying and, and just lost. And she said, I can't receive that. All right, church, here's another point. When somebody wants to give us a blessing, we have to receive that. If not, we rob them of the blessing that God has given them to give to us. So when she received it, they said, well, 
Here's $1,300. However, you have to give $300 to the cook and keep $1,000 for yourself. And she was like, I can't take any of it. And they're like, no, 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 you have to take this money. We want to bless you. And then the man stands up and he says, can I just give you a hug? And she just lost it in his arms there. Now, I don't know what the background of these guys' life, I don't know what they do for a living or such, but you could see that that was a massive impact on that lady's life. But I would say, what if he then said to her, hey, ma'am, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus has given us all jobs. We've all been working for a while, and we've been very grateful for the job that God has given us. And in this job, we have, we've got more money than, than we really deserve and what we really need. And in Jesus' name, we would like to bless you. And we would like to give this to you. And we want you to know that Jesus loves you. That's how you turn something that's good into something that's for God. And that's how you, in verse 3 here, when it says that may the Lord bless you from Zion, that's how we then receive a blessing to then give a blessing to someone else. So Father, right now this morning, Lord, we're so thankful that first we get to just come and gather Lord, it is with joyful and joyous hearts that we get to sing to you, we get to praise you, we get to talk, we get to be here. Lord, we had vehicles that we got to drive here. We got warm. This is a warm place. I'm sweating right now. And it is 32 degrees outside. Jesus, you have given every single one of us something, many of things. And we come, we, we come together and may our bodies express our gratitude, our adoration to you. Lord, may some of us step out of our comfort zone and do something today when it looks at corporate worship that we've never done, not for other people to see us, but for us to experience and encounter you, Jesus, like never before. And Lord, may we, may we give this to other people. May we not be hoarders of the gospel. May we not be hoarders of the good news. May we not be hoarders of these blessings that you have given us, but may we then receive from you, Jesus, to then give and release to others. Jesus, we're grateful for what you're doing. We want you to be magnified and glorified. That word for glorified just means to put a microscope on us and everyone just to see Jesus in us. So Father, I pray that as we worship, as we sing, as we serve, as we work, as we love, as we sweep the floors, as we fold laundry, all the things that we do would all be for you, Jesus, for us to bless you because it's for your glory and your glory alone. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.